Father, we're really grateful for men that are, are really concerned for your work. And we know that even uh, this whole idea of eldership, we know that it's a work. And we know that, uh, I remember Dave Glock saying that deacons are just junior elders. You can even tell by the qualifications. And we, we know that uh, even uh, when we were young, us that are a little bit older, that uh, we really wanted to help. So we just thank you for those who are willing to help and put their efforts in. We pray that your spirit would be in this meeting so that uh, the words would be gracious and uh, would lead us down the path that you would want us to go. We just pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so I was not here on Thursday night, and I, I would like to make like two comments of things that came up on Thursday night. Uh, number one, we will get to selection of elders at some point in time. Number two, when it said, take heed among yourselves, there's uh, two things that elders need to take heed among themselves for. First of, it needs to be personal, but then also it's the group. And so many times when people speak on that passage, they speak to the issues of doctrine, but it's also, as we're going to look at tonight, it's an issue of character too, that someone might have demonstrated the proper character traits when they became an elder or were recognized as an elder, but over time, for whatever reason, they start exhibiting some character traits that are not appropriate. They become uh, a diatrophies. They become more power hungry. The old saying is that um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, that sometimes people let a position or authority go to their head, so to speak. So it's important for the other elders to take heed to that and be willing to hold each other accountable in both doctrine and in character. And I've seen at times that people are more than willing to do doctrine and they're a little bit slow on doing character and so tonight as we look at these qualifications one of the things we'll see is that character is very important and what someone has when we first start might not be what they have uh, later on and so it's important to watch that carefully it's first timothy three and we're going to read um a few verses here because this is where we're going to find the qualifications for Timothy. And 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1 says, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, diligent, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, nor, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, not, but patient, not a brawler, but covetous, not covetous, sorry, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be of a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So the Lord allowed a blessing to the reading of his word. We've we've discussed the different um, words for elders, so we're not. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going back over those. But 
elders means an older man. Um, it's basically what he is. Overseer or bishop is, is what he's responsible for. And shepherd is how he serves by carrying and shepherding the flock. And notice it says, if a man desires the office, that might not be the best translation, but if a man desires to be an overseer, um, it's okay to desire to be an overseer. As, as Ray pointed out last week, the Holy Spirit's the one who puts, who makes overseers or makes elders. And it, we're not supposed to do it by constraint. So it's not something we should be forced to do as we looked at in Peter. So it should be something that you desire to do. So the fine line that is sometimes difficult to determine is someone who wants to be an elder for the position or the prestige and someone who, who desires to serve by shepherding and feeding the flock and being a, a watcher over the flock. And so I've heard it say of people, well, he desires to be an elder, so that automatically disqualifies him. Well, that's a terrible statement and is very unbiblical. And as Tillman prayed earlier, it's very true that desiring something is not bad. This is not coveting. This is not lusting after. This is being called of the Holy Spirit and being recognized that you have a desire to do this work. Because it is a work, as we mentioned, it's not a position, it's not, it's not for prestige, it's not any of those things. So I sent out some questions, I hope everybody has the questions. And um, the first one, I, the first question that I, I um, says, if the qualifications, in the qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy, he gives both negative and positive qualifications for the office of bishop. What relationship do these be these do you see between these qualifications and the fruit of the spirit that we find in Galatians five? And anyone can answer this. I don't I will also admit that at one time I had I had another set of notes that I worked on quite a while and I don't know what I did with them. So they maybe they didn't save, but I, I I was just refreshing the notes I already had, but I, I don't see the, lot, the latest set of notes I have when I would have written some of these down. So um, Galatians 5, of course, is the passage. Did anybody make a comparison between these two? Just off the top of my head, Clay, I would say that Galatians 5 are, are the qualities in the life of every Christian when the Holy Spirit is at work and guiding and leading them. We display the fruit of the Spirit in every one of us, man or woman, young or old, we should all seek to display those things. Where here, you know, yes, in a way they do affect this, but we're looking at personal qualifications and, uh, and uh, that, that have to deal with a man and his family, a man personally, and uh, these qualifications go beyond just the the, the spiritual life, it, it goes into his very being and his very qualifications and so forth. So that, that's what struck me right off the top. Okay. Anyone else? All right. I'll lighten the mood a little bit. It says the husband of one wife, and in also in Galatians 5, it says long-suffering. So 
Those are definitely connected. I'm sorry. That's just the way I am. Um, but I, I think it's real important that we see it. You walk. I mean, that's what it is. It, you, you exhibit it as you're going through life, you know, in, in every aspect, wherever you're at. I mean, that's how, that's how we go. And, and this man has to be a servant. You know, I actually talked to some of my, my bosses at work and I said, well, the reason why you're not a good boss is because you're not a servant. I said, and that's the way this company is. I said, you have to serve to be a good boss. Well, they don't like hearing that either. But you have to be a servant. You have to be. You have to take the lower position. So in my mind, it, may, it would make sense that if an elder is supposed to be a leader and as Peter pointed in an sample to the flock or a sample, an example to the flock, it would make sense then that an elder should be able to display that he's a spirit controlled man in most of the areas of his life. Does that make sense? Yes. And so, um, especially um, love, um, long suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance are all things as we go through this list of character, I think they're all things that come out and Paul expresses them in different way, but they then become the bedrock of a, of, of a Christian example and ultimately an example of Christ. So if the fruit of the spirit is really, the fruit is, is living out the life of Christ so that others can see you, then it becomes really important that an elder is able to do that. And, and so, the fruit of the spirit, at least in my mind, should definitely be reflected in the life of an elder. And not that they're perfect and not that they're without fault, but that it should be reflected in the life of the elder. All right. Uh, the next one. Um, well, let's start looking at these. The next question is, we'll probably come to it. Um, twice Paul cites two negatives both regarding something that are physical why do you believe paul found it necessary to mention these two similar physical type negatives and so as we go through here we're going to come to the physicals and maybe we can talk about that question um as we get to it so the first the first one up is blameless and uh if you have some input that would be great but it, it basically means above reproach and he has a good reputation. He is free from any offensive or graceful um, blight of character or conduct. We all should be, as we said, living lives that exemplify Christ. An elder should be particularly living a life that exemplifies Christ. And it's not that they're without fault, but that they have integrity and they keep short accounts so that there's not something someone can lay a charge at their feet. Comments? Uh, more of a question, Clay. Uh, this is Matt Vanderhart. Um, we studied this uh, a little while ago in Orangewood and uh, the some of the the thoughts that were brought out was 
that basically you had to have a perfect life from the time you were born until the time you were considered for an elder. Uh, so, and no, you know, no immoral sin or anything like that in your life or you would be disqualified. Um, my personal view would be more along the lines of there's nothing outstanding that you haven't, that you could make right, that you haven't made right. But I would like to, a little more clarity on that if you could. Well, That's right. Bill McDonald said one time, if I can jump in, Clay. Okay. Uh, Bill McDonald was speaking on this and he said the word blameless doesn't mean that they were sinless. But it just means that when they saw something in their life, they dealt with it like Matt was saying. They, they removed it. They corrected it in their life. So you can't have people pointing the finger and saying, well, look what he's doing. Or look, what, look what's going on in his life. Because he's taken care of that. But he's not, it doesn't mean he has to be sinless. And he certainly, if he lived a younger man and younger men, teenagers, we sin. <laughs> we, sin we sin today, all of us. And uh, so there's no such thing as a, as a perfect person, just somebody who, as you say, displays the fruit of the Spirit, and if there's something in his life, he deals with it. I don't see that in Scripture, Matt. Number one, as I read the New Testament, and you read the epistles, and Paul's writing, particularly to the Ephesians and the Corinthians, he lists a number of sins and says such such were some of you or such were you. And if you were to sit there and say, these pagans are converted, then are you saying that no pagan would be eligible to be an elder because at one time he was a pagan? I, and, and I think um, the idea here is that an elder represents God He's entrusted with God's household. He's, he has, you know, God's possessions. He acts on God's behalf and in his interest. And as a representative of God, he should be above reproach. He should be of the absolutely highest moral character. But part of having moral character is a sensitivity to sin. And when you know that you've offended someone or you know that you've sinned, that you make it right. No. All of us are simply forgiven sinners in my in my picture. So when you set a standard that you got you can't have anything wrong, then what happens is you start denying that you sin. Because in order for you to be blameless, you have to deny that you did anything wrong. And so instead of actually making someone who's accountable, making someone who keeps short accounts, someone who is very sensitive to sin and is willing to admit when he's wrong then instead you make someone who has to be a super saint who never does anything wrong and therefore has to deny it when he does something wrong because then he disqualify himself if he actually admitted that he sinned or offended someone. So you, you, you have a self-fulfilling cycle of, of self-righteous people when you, when you set standards like that. Thank you. So maybe we could say in real simple terms, no outstanding or ongoing issues with character or with sin in, in their life yes and and it, it's it's both it's outstanding and ongoing and so you know if a brother's overtaken in a fault and you approach him and say brother you're you're coming across as extremely harsh you're coming across you're coming across in the wrong way or you really offended that sister the way you did that 
and he says, no, I didn't, you know, and he doesn't want to recognize when he's at fault and he can't recognize when he did something wrong because he's become self-righteous, then I would say they're no longer blameless. But if a person is sensitive to sin and tries to keep short accounts and tries to make things right, that it's not talking about something petty that we thought he did wrong or we suspect him of having the wrong motives. We're talking about something that you could you could be charged with. All right. Um, the next one is um, the husband of one wife. And um, literally, literally in the Greek, and, and you have people with better Greek than me that, and I think it's one, a one woman man or, or a, a, one, a one wife husband. And uh, I don't know that it was, I don't think it was against polygamy per se, because there was a different word they, they would have used. And I don't think it, um, but it, it means someone who's not flirtatious, not promiscuous, not involved in questionable relationships with women. I, I think it does imply loyalty and faithfulness in marriage as an example to the flock. I do believe it means that you're not divorced. And we, we can discuss that, but I, I do believe that that for whatever reason, it's pretty clear that you can't have two wives and be remarried. And, and now it doesn't mean that you can't be married. Bill McDonald taught that he would, could never be an elder because he was never married. I don't know that it means you can't be married. And also, I don't believe that it means you can't be widowed and remarried because later in Timothy, when he uses the same type of terms, he says that a widow who is, un, is not remarried. So it's not a widow er remarries is not disqualify him as an elder so i just kind of want to understand what you said you can't be divorced and remarried and be an elder yes is that the yes idea? in my opinion i think that's what this passage is addressing because it's not addressing polygamy it's not addressing widows or widowers. It's addressing the issue of, of divorce. Uh, you'll see, uh, Clay, can I just jump in here? Yeah. This is a controversial topic, right? And um, it's split assemblies. I've seen it happen <laughs> on this topic. And so um, I'm going to be careful with how I word it, but I would also mention, uh, just to add in here, it's interesting he starts with blameless. So the idea of not able to be held like in a criminal sense. So you can't look at someone and say, right. He's known for, he's not faithful to his wife, for example. Right. But he starts here in first Timothy, the husband of one wife, he literally the, the beginning of his list. And like Clay mentioned, this one woman, man, um, the, the, the issue here personally on my end, uh, I'm going to differ a little with Clay. It's okay. It's, I think it's okay. But, it's not really the elder's marital status, but his moral and sexual purity. Um, so if he has a wife, he's loyal to his wife. He's not known for uh, having relations with other women. And he, he's, and I'm saying this just because this is an area that most leaders might be prone to fail, right? And so, um, now you guys can disagree with that, it's okay. I, I'm taking some notes from different commentaries on that one, um, but, it's open for discussion, but I know it's a, I know it's a, that's a heavy topic. That's a 
a huge can being opened yeah. uh, on the divorce topic. But I, I'm not a Greek expert, but I trust I trust those who are. Yeah. And the commentaries and the books on elders that I've read, almost all of them come to the conclusion from the Greek that it's talking about someone who's who's not divorced. And it's, be, it's the way the Greek is worded that they come to that conclusion not, and nothing else. And, and I tend to lean in that. I think, I think the marriage is an example of Christ in the church, and I think it's held to a very high standard. And I think that that type is protected by God. And I think in this case, it is protected in church leadership. That's my personal opinion, and, and it's not the only opinion out there, and I realize that. So if you got other comments, feel free to make them. I'm not saying you're telling Matt that he's wrong. I just tell you I might have a different opinion. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. If, if a man is divorced because his wife divorces him and goes ahead and remarries someone else, and he, is, he has been blameless in that marriage, um, right. if, she, if she go ahead and, and dissolves that marriage and because she's an unbeliever, whatever, she's a sinner, she leaves, he is free to remarry. I think what they're talking about here, again, as, as has been brought up, that it's uh, moral purity in your marriage. You have to set an example to the flock of your purity. That goes along with the blameless and, and the other stuff. There are people who get divorced, and it's not anything to do with their fault, any fault of theirs. It's yeah. their unbelieving spouse or whatever may take it. I think it's you have to be moral in moral purity in your marriage in order to be qualified to be an elder. I, I don't think it's got anything to do with divorce, bro. I just don't see it there. I mean, divorce is bad. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm not giving you my opinion alone. I'm telling you that what I've read and from the Greek that it's talking about divorce. Now, you can come to a different conclusion, and divorce is a whole different subject to discuss. It's... Um, it's a fascinating subject. I've got 10 books on divorce. I've read them all. None of them agree with each other. So it's, um, it's a very, very difficult subject. And I, I'm just telling you what, my understanding of this passage from the Greek that is talking about a person who has had one wife. I, I, I can understand what you're saying. And I understand what everybody else is kind of saying as well. I think go back to the first one and I think it kind of like in a descending order, blameless. Like, so we could debate whether it's divorce or one, uh, a man of one woman, like we could debate that. But really, I think if we just go back to the first qualification for our purposes, it kind of takes care of it. Is the man blameless in his standing, uh, in his marriage, in his conduct and I think you kind of have to use the first qualification yeah. to, to interpret the next one and, and so on and so on. I think it's kind of a good way. Anybody deserve All right. And, and all I can tell you is what, I, what I've read and, and um, what I, the conclusions I've come to. And I, I know not everyone agrees with that. So I think, I'm, okay. Uh, I'm okay with that. Because it's, not, it's not black and white. You know, Clay, I think the issue that we are going to run into is that if we don't sort of have a, an agreement as an assembly, then we could run into problems down the road. Um, and so, uh, 
if if we're not sort of of, of one mind on what uh, on what this uh, means, then uh, it's it's right. going to be it's well, going to be uh, an issue at, at some point. Okay. Well, I will I will put you get I will put together some a paper on it and send it out so that you at least know what I'm talking about from what the authorities have to say who understand Greek, which I do not understand. So, um, and then and then we can look at it again at a future date because I think there's um, there's a number of people who have addressed it and addressed it well. And I and it makes sense to me, but it doesn't have to make sense to everybody. I, I don't I don't know if it's a deal breaker. And I think each assembly has to decide that for themselves. I think that's what I was sort of getting at was uh, each assembly kind of sets a standard, and we at some point we're going to need to address that that point. I doubt we have any any divorced men sitting here that want to be elders. So hey, you never know. <laughs> that's an issue right now, but you never know. And and in some assemblies, it would never be an issue because they don't want divorced people there at all. So, um, Danny, this, you had something to say. The San Diego Gospel Hall, if you were divorced, you were persona non grata to start with. So that question would never come up because you weren't very welcome in fellowship if you were divorced. So, um, but that's a whole different issue. And I don't agree with that position at all. All right. Um, the next one. Yes, Danny wanted to say something. Belvin. So I had just had a quick thought. Regardless if an elder qualifies, um, if he is if he is no longer blameless for any reason, is he still an elder? That's what. <clears throat> that's where I brought up earlier when from the passage from from Acts twenty, when you should watch you know, take heed to yourselves. It's important that the elders take heed to these characteristics that if someone falls below this standard, that they address it and take care of it, even up to and asking him not to be recognized as an elder anymore. See, and that becomes the problem is that people tend to, to be pretty much watchdog on, on, on doctrine and they tend to be less of a watchdog on character. So if someone becomes abusive or they become um, over, you know, manipulative or they, they start having a problem with integrity and, and keeping, you know, and, and being truthful, it might even be that they're forgetful and they forget what they say and then say something different the next time. Those are all things that need to be watched for and, and taken care of because if they're not addressed, then, and so while this is, this is like the initial standard, it's not, it's, Elders are not, as we've just talked about this, I believe, elders are not elders for life. It's not a prestige. It's not an honorary title. It's actually a work that you should be doing. And when you, you, you fail either to do the work or you fail to, to meet the requirements as, as outlined in these two passages we're going to study the next couple of weeks, then, then you've dropped below the standard, then that needs to be addressed. And that's where I wanted to address from last week that the, the take heed part is that it's take heed to yourselves. So it's personal first, but then it's also to the group of elders that they, they are watchdogs among themselves. And, and many elders fail 
they become close friends or they become very comfortable with each other and they have a hard time holding each other accountable or they don't want to rock the boat or they don't want to cause waves. So they allow things to happen within the eldership that shouldn't happen and it affects the whole flock. My thought too is that even if that was to happen, where the elder is no longer an elder, his value to the assembly is still as much as it was before. Yeah, and, and that's part of the problem with with recognizing elders is that it's sort of a, it sort of has this mark of prestige on it, and so if you're not recognized, you somehow have lost prestige, or you're you're not you're no longer valuable. And, and it, it's the idea that elders are among the flock. They're part of the flock. They're one of the flock that they're the leaders of the flock. And when you're no longer an example to the flock, you shouldn't be an elder is basically the way it works. You can still teach. You can still have influence. You can still have a lot of wisdom to offer, but you're, you're no longer should be recognized as an example to the flock. And so Elders should be those who are leading up front and, and the flock can follow. And if you can't, if you no longer meet that qualification, either doctrinally or by your character, then your fellow elders should point that out to you. And, and believe me, it's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, Discipline an elder or, or confronting an elder who has gone rogue or has gone off track is a very difficult thing to do. And many elder groups fail to do that and it ends up almost destroying the assembly. I've seen it too many times firsthand. All right, the next one is, um, any other comments? Yeah, I wanna make one, just in more in relation to us as a local church here. I think the one thing we can agree on and you can disagree with me right now, and, and we can talk about it later. But on the subject of divorce, whether we're talking about elders or talking about individuals, my belief is, and, and I, I think I can back it up from Scripture, but it needs to be taken one case at a time. Yes. And I believe that if even if we differ from Clay in, in what he we think this passage means, I think in the case of divorce, whether we're talking about elders or just the person in the assembly, it's, it's one case at a time because in our world today, we are so messed up that it's hard to make a blanket statement or you end up like Clay was saying of the one assembly and, and many assemblies where if you're divorced, you're not welcome, period. Yeah, and 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 in, uh, in my personal experience with friends, the wives have walked out on them, and they have, they weren't bad husbands, they just made a bad choice in wives, or their wives just got tired and and walked out. And um, Tillman was talking about earlier, um, and it, actually, in my case, it'd be my wife who should be recognized for having the long suffering and patience. So. Uh, with Tillman, I'm sure it's Beth, but with my case, it'd be my wife was a long-suffering one because I, I struggled at it in my early marriage of being a good husband and, and to her. So um, one of the reasons I do marriage counseling is because I have a lot, of, a lot of mistakes that I made that I can share wisdom from. So uh, 
All right. Uh, the next one then is um, diligent. Diligent. So diligent has the idea of being sober, temperate, a stable man. Clearly, the Greek word for diligent means wineless or sobriety and use of wine. The implication is one who demonstrates self-control, clear-mindedness, and freedom from all ex excesses. An elder must be sober, circumspect, steady, self-control, and alert. Um, and as he and he's spiritually stable. He's not all over the roadmap. You you don't know from one moment to the next how he's going to respond or react to something. And um, diligence also has this the same idea of keeping short accounts. Again, is that you you um, make sure that that you're staying on top of things personally. Uh, you Go said, ahead. You said spiritually. I I kind of would take that to be in all aspects because I mean you could be pretty steady spiritually, but you right. You, you know, bouncing from, let's just call it, I don't know, I'm not saying this is bad necessarily, but from job to job to job, and like there's no stability in your life, or you're knowing to just make decisions offhand, which throw everything right. off. I think an elder needs to be from that qualification, needs to be, you know, steady and thoughtful in his actions, spiritually and in his life. Yes, and, and I think we're going to get to a couple of those, but yeah, basically... Um, when you think of someone who's not sober, is that is they're very unpredictable. They have no governors. They might do any. They might just do any old thing, any old time, because they can't. They can't seem to think beyond the immediate. So that's the idea. I, I think of what we're talking about here. All right. And the next. Uh, yes. No, I, I don't want to. I just. I'm just linking Clay. What we're saying, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly. Titus talks about it, right? In one. So he's talking about the bishop being uh, blameless, but he's saying not quick-tempered, not giving to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospital, love what is good, so we might adjust, holy self-control. So I thought, um, like the priest was saying, it was just, I mentioned it too, there's not someone all over the map. And I would think even emotionally, right? So you think of someone who's, a, who's maybe given to wine, the decisions they're gonna make are gonna be a, an emotional roller coaster without any yeah. thought, irrational. And uh, that's not what an elder is. In, in, in the King James, and I, you, you might even have a different translation, but the next one is diligent, which really means not given to Ryan. And then, they, and then the King James translated sober, and it's probably maybe even better translated prudent. And I think this is what, what Matt was talking about, a balanced, sensible man. Literally, it means soundness of mind, sober-minded. Sober means to be balanced, discreet, controlled because of sound judgment, sensible thinking, and reasonableness. Um, soberness would greatly temper pride, authoritarianism, and indiscretion. Prudence is an essential quality of mind for a humble servant leader who must handle problems and guide others in the Lord's way. So I think, if anything, this one it just reinforces that whole idea of being stable in, in your actions, whether it's your job and your family, it's, it's you know, how you live your life, it's I think one one way we're unstable, one way we can be unstable is if we're unbalanced. And if if you're carrying a fifty pound bag of pig feed all the way out at one arm, you can't 
be stable because you're going to constantly struggling to hold that up. And I can remember my dad striving to teach us kids to always strive for a balance in whatever argument, whatever issue in life, um, you know, always listen to the other side and always strive for a balance. And I think that's really, I think you could, that would fit into all of these characteristics is constantly striving for a balance um, in, in each of these issues. My version uses the word prudent, and I would add to the word prudent, cautious. Uh, as Matt just mentioned, hear the other side. You can't make a decision based quickly on something that you hear first. You really need to get to the bottom of it, get all the different sides into it before you can make a decision. Yeah. You've got to look before you leave. I like, I like um, the idea of control because of, self, of sound judgment that you're under control and you have sound judgment. So you don't, you're not reacting to every, you know, um, what the scripture often talks about in people who are tossed to and fro, <clears throat> we should not be tossed to and fro and the elders particularly should not be those who are tossed to and fro. They should be controlled with sound judgment. And, and the next one is, Sorry, uh, can I, uh, yeah. can I just Great. jump in Go for ahead. a second and, this, uh, the last characteristic that we looked at is one of four that is repeated uh, with the exact word in uh, Titus. To speak to Matt Hebert, uh, there, there are four of the approximately 16 to 18 character traits that are there that are repeated uh, precisely. So it, that would, when things are repeated, they're often important are always important um of good behavior so blameless and of good behavior are different so um a good behavior the word actually means an orderly or disciplined or honorable man in the greek um, good behavior is the word orderly. It's used to describe orderliness and outward demeanor and dress in 1 Timothy 2.9. But here it means orderliness in the whole person and lifestyle. So he's, he's really building a character type here. God's a God in order, order. The elder should be a God of order. He should be balanced. He should not be overly um, sensitive. He should not overly react. He needs to keep short accounts. So all these things are, it, it seems like he's almost piling on that there's such a fine difference between each of these words that that it's almost like it's the same word again and again and again, but it's not. He, he's bringing out a slight nuance different in character in each one of these, in my opinion. Would that word be the same, Clay? Uh, and I'm just thinking First Timothy 2 and 9, and I think it is. It right? is the word it modest. Is. It is having that thought of dignified. Yes, dignified, modest, respectable. Mm -hmm. That's the idea here. Okay. But it also have the thought of doing good works, like being engaged in doing good works. Um. Yeah, I think. 
I think so, but I think there's others like the next one that sort of implies that also. And so, um, because the next one, the next one is um, given to hospitality. It's a man that shows care and concern for the practical needs of, the, of God's people by opening his resources to others. This includes his home, but is not limited to his home. Um, hospitality displays a Christian family generosity, closeness, and love. Uh, a man who closes his door to God's family cannot be a leader. And lack of hospitality by a leader is a, is a sure sign of selfish, lifeless, loveless Christianity. It really means kindness to strangers. So um, that's the idea here is being kind in our actions towards others. And would you think, Clay, um, I like that kindness to strangers, the love of strangers. Would you think that that's even a, an attribute where we're thinking about hospitality and, and elders' life, their homes are open so really individuals can see spiritual character? Because you think of, I don't know who said it, but someone said true character is what's done in the dark, right? And uh, when no one's looking. And so if your home is open, I'm not talking about when we invite one family over a week and we set the home to be perfect, but someone can just stop by, your home's open and you visit. And, and believers and unbelievers are like really see true character being displayed in that that emulates Christ. Um, I think it goes to your thought here that being kind to strangers or the love of strangers. You, you bring up some good points. And I know when I grew up, kids talk especially teenagers, and they're going to share how their household run. They're going to share what they like about their parents and what they dislike about their parents. And if there's abuse, if there's domineering, if there's things going on in that household that are not right, the kids are going to talk among each other. And when someone ends up being appointed as an elder or serving as an elder where there's real issues at home, that he's somehow keeping hidden away in secret because he doesn't think the rest of the church knows about it. In our day and age, um, especially among the assemblies, is the more I attend assemblies, the more obvious it is, is that we've really becoming, we're becoming a commuter group in that we don't drive half an hour across town to the other side of town to go to someone's house for Sunday. My parents live very close to the chapel. We had we had someone different at our house every Sunday afternoon for dinner. That was, we had a very open house. That's just the way they did things. We live 35 minutes away from our chapel. It's very hard for us to have someone come to our house after chapel to have dinner with us. So an open house is important, but we live in a day and age where it's not the same as when I grew up and maybe Tillman and some others in smaller communities, but it's still very important that our, our house be open and we be, we have time. I told you my personal experience that we had an elder who was the first one out of the parking lot every Sunday. He didn't come across as hospitable. He didn't come across as caring. He came across as someone whose own time meant more to him than sharing of that time. So it's, it's the whole picture that one draws. Does he, is he a servant? Does he place other people first? Is he kind to strangers? I know elders who, who, who struggle to talk to new people when they walk in the door and they're, and they're not, and they're, it's not 
their nature to be particularly outgoing, but if, a, if, a, if someone's going to be an example of the flock of God, they've almost got to be the first one to walk up and greet a stranger. Yeah, Clay, I, I'm not, definitely not in your vintage, but I grew up in the Midwest, and it was not uncommon at all for um, people just to randomly stop by to visit. And, um, you know, I can remember many nights, and this wasn't just once, once in a while, but many times we would all be in bed already and lights would flash across through the windows from the driveway at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and a family would pull in and we'd all get back up and put the coffee on and have cheese and crackers and popcorn. And, and that was just the way it was. And I really think it's, it's regardless of how it's displayed, it should really be displayed in all areas, but there should be just an openness, a communion, a willingness to communicate, a willingness to share whatever that I have with whoever needs it. We, we had potlucks at one assembly I was in, and, and one of the elders was notorious for bringing the least amount of food to every potluck. And it just, it just has a bad look to it when that's true. I mean, you might not be inviting people to your house, but when you can't share or bring a quantity that would share with strangers or someone who just came in, um, uh, Alex Strauss, who um, we've mentioned a number of times, he has a book on hospitality. It's an excellent book, and it would be, if you really want to know about hospitality, I would encourage you to read it. Jay, have you read it? You're talking to Jay or I mean, me? Jeff, Jeff yes. have you read it? Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I know Alex really well. He gives me all of his books free, and and uh, I've read most of his books. Yeah, it, it, it's very well done. And he makes a very good case for leadership, for sure, but just hospitality in the local church, too. All right. Yeah. The next one, any other comments? We'll go on. The next one is apt to teach. And probably, in my mind, the most misunderstood of all the qualifications. It's the only qualification that's not listed as for deacons. It's the one qualification that separates deacons from elders. So both should be of the highest moral and character standard and spiritual standard. But the elder, it must be said of the elder that he's apt to teach. And it's not public teaching in mind. It's not being able to preach a sermon. What it, what it means to me is being able to apply the scripture to any given situation, not, not tradition and not what we've always taught, but actually be able to turn to a scripture. So it, it, it means there's three basic elements, knowledge of scripture, the readiness to teach, and the capability to communicate. It has nothing to do with the gift of teaching, nor does it have anything to do with public teaching. It's not how eloquent a man is, how much education he has, it, he does have. It, it means he can instruct and protect the assembly from false doctrine. And if he can't do that, he's really not qualified to be an elder. And so 
only and when Paul commended the the elders in there in Ephesus, he said to the word of his grace, it's it's an indispensable quality. It's it means that they must be a master of the scriptures. They must understand the scriptures. They should be able to refute the gainsayer, to turn to scripture, help those in need, and be able to and be able to recognize when someone's teaching tradition of man for the word of God and say, sorry, brother, I just don't see where you're getting that from. And, and in my opinion of the assemblies I travel to, um, the better assemblies have elders that are apt to teach, the assemblies whose elders are not apt to teach because they're just good men who through length of service or through whatever were recognized as elders, usually are the assemblies that struggle. I've gotten done speaking and have an elder walk up to me and, which at, and ask me what I consider an ABC question that, that I would hope someone who's been saved more than two years would know and have them ask me a question. And I'm just flabbergasted at the lack of knowledge that an elder would have. Uh, Clay, would you also add and I agree entirely, you nailed it. Um, would you also add, because I, I love what uh, one man mentioned in a commentary, aside from the teaching, but he also said that the finest and most effective teaching is done not by speaking, but by being. And, um, you know, this, it's someone who lives and emulates Christ. It goes back to what we're talking about, right? Blameless, blameless, yeah. and sober. But the, but, but the rest of these characters, I think, are living Christ. Uh-huh. So this this is more than just being a great example. Yep. This means when someone says something in that that is not scriptural, that you can call attention. I I mentioned I mentioned when I was at at Orangewood for the baptism, that the gentleman talking about the baptism said there was two qualifications for baptism, and the radar the bells rang in my head because I only know of one qualification for baptism. And so he said, he started off with, with the Ethiopian eunuch going down into the water. And he says, we teach immersion. And here you see that the qualification for baptism was that he believed. And I said, yes, I have to agree. That's the qualification for baptism, that you're a believer. And then he said, the second qualification, as an old brother said, was that you're dead to the world. Well, you know, if someone was truly an elder who was apt to teach, he'd say, brother, you're adding to the word of God because the word of God doesn't have that as a second qualification. That's teaching the traditions of men as the, as the word of God. And, and, and a good elder would say, sorry, you can't, you can't teach that. That might be our tradition. That might be something we want, but you can't say the Bible gives two qualifications and then quote a brother. You're going to say Bible gives two qualifications. You better quote two Bible verses to me. And if you can't do it, it's like earlier when Matt brought up the idea of elders being without blame for their whole life. Well, then the New Testament church wouldn't have very many elders because most of them came out of a pagan society where Paul lists the sins of the pagans and they were terrible sins. So if, if you can't use scripture to show that, no, that either isn't the intent of scripture or that's not what scripture says, or it's absolutely against scripture, then you're going to struggle to be apt to teach. I would say it's even a good, um, 
it's a good pattern to follow, right? Clay, like as far as whether you're an elder or not, just to encourage everyone on this call, sister, brother, we should all have an answer for what we believe and backed by scripture, right? So I call them the holisms or traditionalism or, but have an answer. So when someone says, well, why do you fellowship the way you do? And someone says, well, we follow Acts 2.42, right? Apostles, doctrine. Well, what is that? You have to have an answer. And so, right. and so uh, I, I like what you said, Clay, about that. Um, but, but you can have an answer to basic questions. Sure. I believe an elder has an answer to most questions. Yep. Or he says, you know, um, I'll look into that and get back to you. Yeah. But he gets back to you. He comes back and tells you, I did some research and this is what it, you know. And so elders are all di gifted differently. I've, I have elders who have very good recall. I have elders who can, who, who once they look into it, can teach it, show it to you and explain it to you in such an amazing way, you never forget it. So it, 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 each, each person has a different calling, but the idea is later on in Timothy, it says that if someone is to shut the mouth of the gainsayers is one of the works of an elder. If you don't know the scripture, if you're not apt to teach, you'll struggle with that. If someone got up and taught there wasn't a rapture, would you be able to, to, to point out why there is a rapture? If someone stood up and said <clears throat> that homosexual marriages were okay in the scripture, would you be able to stand up and explain why they're not? And, and not everyone can do that. And not everyone has spent the time in the word to do that. And um, I sort of, I'll use this example. It's an it's a very old example, and you could you could use a hundred, but I'll use the the railroad example since Tillman's in the audience. But it's the idea that they the train breaks down, and they call the engineer, and they call someone out to repair it. He comes out, he looks it over, he taps it three times with a hammer, and it works. And they said, "How much is it?" And he goes, "A hundred bucks." And he said, and they say, "A hundred bucks for three taps of a hammer." And he said. No, a hundred bucks for a lifetime of learning where to tap the hammer with. See, well, that's an elder. An elder has to be so immersed in the word of God that he knows where to, where, where to tap it. He knows what it is because he doesn't have to go and study it. He doesn't have to go and look it up. He knows the word of God well enough to respond and give an answer. Yes, there's some basic things we should all be able to give an answer to. But there's other doctrines that would come up or or or. or be such that it's only someone who's been immersed in the word of God, not a casual observer, not a casual reader, but someone who has studied the word of God and knows it and can give an answer to a life situation. If someone has an issue of pride, can you turn to the scriptures and show where pride is an issue and where God calls pride? If it's a lack of faith, can you show them where the lack of faith, can you identify that their problem is the lack of faith from scripture? All those things, I think, are, are what I'm talking about when I'm talking about apt to teach. And that's what I think it means. So it doesn't mean that if uh, you go ask an elder a question, he says, oh, here's a book for you to read. And, and once again, um, I'm not opposed to that because I do give books out to read. So it depends on whether you think the person needs to study it for themselves or whether it's a, it's, a, it's a question that you can have a discussion with them. 
because I have lots of discussions. I mean, most of my counseling is, is, is mentoring and discipleship. So I have lots of discussion on applying the word of God to our daily lives. But that doesn't mean I, I if someone's stug, struggling with self-esteem, I won't give them a very good book on self-esteem and have them read it. So, but yes, yes, it, it depends on the person. If I think the person needs to be encouraged to read some, I might give them a book, but um, it, it would be the individual. But no, I wouldn't say that's your normal answer. If someone comes up and says, you believe in a pre-trib rapture, I should be able to tell him why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. I don't know. <clears throat> On Tuesday night with the Lewises, we're having an open Bible study. One of the things that comes very clear in an open Bible study is who knows the word of God and who doesn't. Because either you, <clears throat> you know, you're not going in with a whole lot of prepared notes. You either know what the passage, you know what relates to the passage. You can bring out the truth of the passage or you can't. And <clears throat> there are people, some of you have met Tom Curry, he's a doctor from Snyder, Texas. That man knows the word of God. He can apply the word of God to almost any situation that comes up. And then there's others that have to study 10 hours to give a message because they really don't know the word of God very well. And that's how they, that's how they obtain it. But it, it's that study 10 hours to give a message over 20 years. Soon, you know, the word of God. It's eight o'clock. Is uh, Scott watching the, uh, I mean, Matt watching the, uh, oh, there he is. I, I'm watching, but I, I was actually paying attention and I lost track of time. So it, that's a good thing. <laughs> hey, we started two minutes late. We can go over two. Okay. So we can go on to one more. We'll go on to one more. Um, not given to wine. So <laughs> it's really, um, it's really interesting. You have sober, you have diligent, you have not given to wine. This is, this is actually, I think, a better translation. Who has a David Reacher NAS? Is David? David told me not to call on him unless he's paying attention. Reacher NAS <coughs> for verse um, three. Which David? There's three or four of us. Oh, here. David Welsher. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> it says not addicted to wine or pugnacious. Yes, no striker. Well, getting drunk, most people get into fights. That's how they do that. Right. So someone who's a fighter, quick-tempered, quarrelsome individual who's prone to physical assault or verbal assault of others. The Greek word is derived from the verb to strike and can be understood as a violent person or a striker or a brawler. His family is often aware of this being true since they suffer at his hands. That's where sometimes if you talk to the kids, you have a better idea of the person. Maybe in, maybe on Sundays at the assembly, he's not a striker. But when he gets home, his kids all say he has a very quick temper. Uh, <clears throat> so, so God wants gentle people, as we're going to go on to read, to lead his sheep through the stresses of assembly life. So it's really important. Now, one of the questions was, twice Paul cites two negatives, both regarding something that are physical. Why do you believe Paul found it necessary to mention these two similar physical type negatives? So why do you believe he brings up the physical in this list of characteristics? Well, 
decided an old brother. Uh, I think when the scripture makes uh, perfect sense, then we should just take it how it says it. And I think he's, he's I, I feel he's speaking specifically to these two things. You're not given to wine and you're not given to, to fisticuffs. You're not given to, to fighting. Um, now, I think there's a difference between fighting and striving or fighting for the faith. But this, I believe, is definitely points to the physical uh, and the literal things of what it's saying. Well, later, later in this list, at least in the King James, it says not a brawler. So it, that's, that doesn't leave a lot of room. I mean, you're talking about someone who, who is quick to do battle with their fists, so to speak. Well, there are, there are some in, in a group or a leader or something who, in order to get his point across in his way south, he will physically abuse the weaker of the two or whatever to get his point across. That's how he will get them to make his decision. So obviously not someone who's gentle in spirit, right. not someone who's meek. The, um, one of the things this, this sort of reminds me about is, is someone who's easily offended and gets excited very fast, someone who's very defensive, so he takes everything personal. If you, if you say something to him, he doesn't consider whether it's true. He just immediately reacts that you're attacking his character. A lot of times when an elder, um, especially if he has this idea that you have to be blameworthy, you know, blameless, then anything that would maybe cast blame on him or point out that he's failing in an area, he becomes very defensive, becomes physically almost wants to intimidate. So I'd say not an intimidator, not someone who uses force to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, someone who's in control of his temper. I mean, I think this is... This is the picture that he's drawing for us. And um, it's easy to define a word, but it, it's really, he's saying, look, you're, you're looking for this sort of person, this type of person. This is, this is a definite type that you're looking for. And he's eliminating some who are not that type. Comments? Sorry. I agree. So, um, should we go on or you want to stop? I think we better uh, respect the time restrictions because yeah. you people have okay, kids you. to put to bed and everything. And some sounds of us good need to, me. to put to bed ourselves, so it's all right, Jeff. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> make uh, one point. If, if you can hear me, you're, every elder is going gonna, is gonna to lack one of these qualifications. They're, nobody's going to be perfect. We've already brought that up. There should be strength within the eldership, too. That some of them are going to be better at some things than other things, you know, just like within the assembly. And that's a good thing. That, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I think all of us need to be like the Lord. We're, we're gracious and truthful. You know, and, and this comes up within these qualifications. 
I would. Right. I'm sorry, Clay. Go ahead. Go I would ahead, just Jay. like to say that, uh, you know, where there are um, qualifications listed, there is examination, and uh, every person coming on board should there should, should be an examination amongst the whole assembly. It's my personal view. It's what I've done in the past, but. <clears throat> I, I agree with Tillman to the extent that some of us may not be the strongest in one of these areas, but I do think that we, an elder should be qualified in all of them. That's just I, my point of view. I, I can only speak personally, but I know when they asked me to be an elder, um, I did not feel qualified at all. And I really struggled examining, doing this examination because if you're truly of this character that I think Paul's laying out here, you're probably going to be more self-depreciation than, than someone who's struggling, who wants a position and thinks they're overly qualified. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be, a, a, as I think, I think there's a medium ground there between Tillman and Jeff is that no one's perfect because it doesn't call for perfect men but there is a minimum standard that you should meet and you shouldn't be super deficient in any one of these. Like if you're a striker or a brawler or you're, 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 um, you're, you're a physically intimidating person that you use intimidation or force to get your way or to get people to do what you want. I would think that, that that's not the person you want for an elder and that, that in that really weak in that one area would disqualify you. So that, that becomes the issue is it's okay not to have every one of these be a strength, but if several of them are real weaknesses, then there's probably room for growth before you should be an elder. Yeah. Thank you, Clay. All right. We'll Thank see you, you next week, huh? I'll be here next week. Be here Saturday. Be there Sunday. Okay. Thank Lord, you willing. Good, <laughs> Lord willing. The good news is um, that uh, I only drove 23 miles in May. So um, I had 1,300 miles through the, through the first Sunday or second Sunday in March. And I think I've got like 25 miles in the next two months. So um Things have changed. I'm not spending a lot of money on gas. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, interesting enough, I, I was I was preaching at Zion, which is the Korean um, church in downtown LA, on Sunday, and I was doing James four, where he talks about man makes plans and what we should say is Lord willing. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what's the test whether you really leave a life that says Lord willing? or you're really saying if the Lord wills when you make your plans. And the way I test myself is when I have an interruption, whether it's on the road and there's a traffic jam or an accident and it takes me an hour to get around it, or, you know, I'm, I'm across the border and it takes me two hours to cross the border back, or <clears throat> I get a flat tire or I go to the store and they don't have what I want. How do I respond to those situations? And if I'm really looking to the Lord, do then I take those as divine appointments? Do I take those as interruptions from the Lord because the Lord has a different plan than I do? 
or do I get really frustrated because my plan didn't come together like I planned? I'm a planner, and that's something I constantly have to guard against, is allowing the Lord to look to the Lord and say, this is my plan, but Lord, you direct, you be in charge, you tell me where, where, where we're going with this. And then for me not to be frustrated if it doesn't work as I plan because he has a different plan. That's just a comment on, on the Lord willing part that was brought up about this weekend. So otherwise, nine o'clock Saturday morning. Yes, sir. Yes, nine o'clock Saturday morning. You should have an email. Everybody has an email. If you didn't get it, let me know. There is one attachment on there, so please review it. And if you want to add something, let us know, and we'll be more than happy to cover it. Should we have uh, Dave Wright? Do you want to close in prayer? Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where uh, we can look into the scripture and uh, we seek direction for our assembly, God. We ask your Holy Spirit lead us into uh, decisions that will be honoring to your son. We have nothing of ourselves uh, that we can offer in this. God, we understand we're dependent on you. And um, we ask that you would move uh, in us and lead us how you see fit. We thank you for the, the time that uh, Claude and Ray have devoted to these studies and, and uh, the participation of the men uh, of the assembly. Uh, we ask your continued blessing on uh, those that uh, gather on uh, palms and uh, we ask that were involved in whatever decisions be made. Oh God, that they would be in his name we pray.